Today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screens above. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and, try, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his kingdom, and to his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this, and is, this is the sixth month, month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your room. Well, word. And the angel departed from her. Good morning, everyone. My name is JD. I'm one of the pastors here at Pine Lake Covenant Church. Um, welcome to our Sunday morning service. Uh, I know that you've been greeted many times by humans and angels alike, uh, but we like to say hello. Uh, we like to make sure that everyone feels welcome here. It's something that's really, really important to us. If you're new here, really, really glad that you get to be a part of our service this morning. Uh, we're a church of real people with real issues, living real lives. And we try to journey together the best we can and follow Jesus. And we find hope and peace in him. And I hope that this can be a place where one day you can say, this is home. If you don't like this home, there's plenty of other awesome churches in the city. I really mean that. There's no sarcasm in it. Uh, we partner with many of them. And so if you're like, this is not my vibe, it's totally okay. If you're a member, I'm also glad that you're here. I feel like members don't get enough love, right? Because we always say, if you're new, if you're new. But, you know, if you're a member and you've been here like 20 years, well, you're not new, right? You've kind of been here for a while. Um, the love that I have for you is a special announcement. Everyone say special. special. Yes. All right. So after service at 1130, we're going to be having a congregational meeting right here in the sanctuary. A congregational meeting is my special gift for you today. Um, it's going to be awesome, all right? It's going to be amazing. We're going to be sharing a lot of different stuff. The LT are going to be doing stuff. We're going to be voting on some things. There is childcare in the gym. Make sure to register your kids if you want them to be a part of childcare. Uh, I think there will be food over there for them. I think we're getting some pizza. There will be snacks for adults, okay? So the pizza is not for you if you are an adult. Snacks for you, pizza for kids. Anyone can attend this meeting. If you're just visiting for the first time or if you're new and you're like, man, I really want to go to a congregational meeting and see what it's about, you're more than welcome to attend. Only members can vote, okay? And we, we, we have a really high security system where we take your <laughs> fingerprint and we do a retina scanner. No, okay? It's a total honor system. And so if you're going to attend for the first time, we're just going to be like, we're going to know because, you know, we're going to be like, that person doesn't look like they've been here 20 years. So we'll know. But still, 
We're not going to scan your eyes or anything like that. You can come and check us out. Uh, and the members will be voting on a couple of things. And so if you can make it, um, please be here. We're trying not to make it too long. And so, yeah, come do that. If you want to become a member, uh, check out Explore Class. It's where we do our membership process, and it's a great opportunity. This morning, we're in the second season, or we're in the season of Advent. We're in the second week of Advent, and Advent is basically a season of expectation and longing. It's a looking towards Christmas and ultimately towards the second coming of Jesus. And we're in a sermon series called Waiting in the Dark. Um, Could we give Scott Jones some credit for making this awesome graphic? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you know, but Scott makes all of our graphics. He's on our team. And so all the design that we do is like from his mind, right? He just gives hours and hours. And this is one of his original ones. And honestly, I mean, what church is doing better than this? I just don't get it. So, um, I like Scott. He's one of my good friends, but yeah, uh, we're in the sermon series called waiting in the dark. And what we're doing is we're exploring faith. We're exploring what faith looks like in the Christmas narrative, um, especially as people in Jesus' story in that birth narrative waited in the dark. Right? We all go through times where we wait in the dark. Waiting in the dark is basically like the unknown, you know, the fearful place, the scary place, the place we don't want to be. Right? It's the dark. And so there's people in the Christmas story who waited in the dark. And last week, Pastor Mark preached on waiting faithfully. He shared about Elizabeth's story. And he gave us wisdom how to wait faithfully in our seasons of barrenness. It's a great sermon about what do you do when you're praying and hoping for something and it doesn't quite yet show up. If you're interested in that, listen to the podcast. It's great. But this morning, we shift our attention to Mary, Elizabeth's relative, who also happens to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. It's the first time in my 12 years as a pastor that I get to preach on Mary. And I feel very um, privileged today to get to share her story. But before we jump in, I want to try a little something. So I hope that you will entertain me for a second. Uh, Several years ago, I was working way too hard, and my wife was like, you're grumpy and tired, and you have no joy in your life. You need to do something fun. And so after, like, researching the 12 things I could do that were fun, I came down to one thing, and I decided to take improv classes. Um, Yeah, I learned at Improv Boston. I, I took classes for about a year or so, and it was like four classes, we did four showcases, and we had a bunch of indie shows and other jams that we did, and I loved it. Now, I haven't played in over two years since being here, but I figured, you know, if I'm preaching for a merry first time, why not try improv for the first time? And so uh, Chase and I are going to do a little bit of improv, and I'm going to have him come back up. Can we welcome Chase back up here? Um, You want a mic or not? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, Chase, you, you've taken some classes too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you're a lot more fresher than I am. Like, everyone needs to lower their expectations right now. Okay? Everybody. I know. Just two guys trying to have some fun. But we want to do some improv for you, okay? So, um, I need a suggestion. Um, I need a, uh, I'm going to take this off. That way, we're equal. You can hear me enough, right? I'll put it back on in a second. What was that? Making cookies. Making cookies? Baking cookies? Okay, baking cookies. And can I get a suggestion? A space or an area that has a lot of light? Beach. I heard beach. Beach? Beach. 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 Tweet! 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 Sir! What are you? 
are you doing on my beach? Um, I, I was just getting some sand for our Christmas cookies that we're baking at home. <laughs> sand? I'm the lifeguard of this, pure, this awesome beach right here. Let me tell you, this sand is sacred. It is special. It's off limits to the public like yourself. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know that this pristine sand was offered to deities or something. And I, uh... It's okay. I put it in my protein. <laughs> So, uh, man, I'm so glad that went well. That could have been a disaster. Thank you, Chase. Um, all right, so improv is funny, all right? And the reason why it's funny is because of a fundamental principle. There's a rule. And when good improv follows that principle, it ends up being funny. People laugh. You interact. You had to have a good time, right? But uh, when it doesn't follow that principle, improv falls apart. It just looks disastrous. There's no chemistry. There's no flow. And so this fundamental principle is called yes and. Everyone say yes and. Yes Yes, and is the idea that I say yes to whatever is given to me and then I add to it. I add another layer, right? And so I walked in, I'm on this beach, I'm doing this, you know, Chase comes in with this alarm and immediately I know that he's this authority figure I have to respect. Now, I have to respect that. For me to say yes would be to submit to that scene. Do you see what I'm saying? And to follow that narrative and to go back and forth. Right? And so what you saw us do was continually saying yes to each other. I will say yes to what you say. I will say yes to what you say. I will say yes to what you say. Now, our words, we use no. No, how about this? No, how about this? Right? But we stayed in the game together and there was a flow to the progress. Even at the end when he hit me, right? What if I didn't fall back? What if I said no? It would look ridiculous, right? So, Yes, stand is a very, very important concept in improv. And when I took improv, I had such difficulty saying yes. 
Like, what would happen is that I would have an idea for how the scene should turn in my mind. Or I would have an idea or a narrative of the things that we could say. So I would jump in and I would try to be in character, but someone would say something like, hey, squirrel, how are you doing? And I'm like, I don't want to be a squirrel. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say yes to that. And so then I'd try to play and I'd be like, I'm an elephant. And it just didn't work. And as I took the classes, right, in improv, this is what you practice. You practice surrendering and saying yes over and over and over again. If someone points to you and say, dance, you start dancing. If someone points to you and say, stop, you stop. There's this constant agreement that allows the flow of improv to happen. Now, it's incredibly difficult in improv, but can I just say that it's also incredibly difficult in real life? We are wired to say no. As human beings, I don't know why that's true, but it's very, very difficult for you and I to say yes. For some reason, our natural state is not one of agreement, but it's rather of disagreement. I'm a dad to a three-year-old named Elise and an almost three-month-old named Annette. And Elise has all of a sudden, like in the last like couple of months, become a three-nager. <laughs> and she says one word a lot. And what is that word, everyone? No. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm agreeing with you. She says no. All of a sudden, right, this compliant, beautiful little child who would follow our instructions starts saying no, sometimes for no good reason. I just don't want to. I don't like it that way. The, the last thing that she's been saying no to a lot is like, and it's tricky, her hair is shoulder length. We, we, didn't, we didn't cut it for a year and it went all the way down here and we cut it. And lately she's been like, no, I don't like my short hair. We can't do anything about her short hair. So all day, no, I don't like my hair, no. Even a child knows how to disagree instinctively. Now, we do this all the time in our lives, right? We're more prone to saying no than yes. When our spouse or loved ones ask us to do something, we ask ourselves, do I want to say yes to that? Do I have schedules? Am I busy? Very rarely do we answer in the affirmative. When someone gives us feedback or constructive criticism, right? That word, it's funny. I know some people use it, don't use it. But I think that the most intent of feedback is positive. I know when someone says that, I'm, do I trust this person? Do I trust what they're saying? Do I want to say yes to that rather than just saying thank you, right? Or when they need a volunteer to do something at work or for the PTA, does anyone want to sign up? There's an awkward silence. We say no. When people say, hey, you remind them of that person, you know, like you kind of look like Matthew Gyllenhaal. And I guess if you like him, you can say yes to that. But you might say, no, I don't like that. When people ask you if you want to be part of something or to step up, we mostly say no. It's the first thing that comes into our mind. Now, improv is fine. Everyday life is fine. But what happens when that translates to our spiritual journeys? What happens when most of the time we say no and God shows up? So I want to do something in your life. I want to take you in a different direction. But we're so preconditioned to say no. So this morning, I want to look at Mary's story because she amazingly says yes. And I want to argue that she says the most important yes in all of human history. Without Mary saying yes, possibly there could be no Jesus. What? No, he could have found a different woman. I know all of you guys are thinking right now. That's you saying no to what I just suggested. You see that? (laughs) Stay with me. All right. Mary was an integral part of God's plan. 
And if she didn't say yes, we have no idea what history would have looked like. It wouldn't have looked like what we have now. And so what do we learn from Mary and who was she? Well, the first thing that we know is that Mary was a young woman. Scholars say that she was anywhere from 13 to 16. And I know that's weird, right? Because the next thing we know about her is that she was engaged to be married. And it's like, oh my gosh, how in the world is a 13-year-old engaged? It was part of their culture, first century times. It was part of their day. And she was betrothed to a guy named Joseph. What we know about good old Joe, he worked with wood. He was an honest person. There's actually not much mention of Joseph in scripture much at all. There's just several things. But we do know that when this scandal came about, he wanted to like handle it privately and spare her the humiliation that came with what happened. So she's betrothed to Joseph. He's a good guy. What we know of Mary is that she's common. She has no significant social standing. She was most likely poor. And she was from Nazareth. Nazareth is not Sammamish. It's the place where no good thing could come out of. You remember that moment where Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, come, see Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, really? Can anything good come out of that place? Mary was from there. That was her home. Yet when the angel greets her, he calls her favored one. And he says, God is with you. Even before she does the thing, even before anything happens in the narrative, God starts in this story with Mary, you are favored and I'm with you. Scripture said, right, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to Galilee, to a city named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. If you saw an angel, of course, you'd be afraid, right? Like, they don't all look like Chase. Real angels would be like blinding light. All of your senses would go numb. It'd be like finding the most like supernatural thing all of a sudden in front of you. The angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Such an interesting statement. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It starts with saying, Mary, you're favored, and God is with you. Now, how many of you woke up this morning thinking, I'm favored, and God is with me? It's tricky, right? Because if you say, well, I did, then it's like, well, you're obviously a narcissist. (laughs) I'm not talking about that kind of thinking. What I'm really talking about is that somehow in your core identity, there's an understanding that you are favored by God. That you are seen by him, recognized by him, that you are loved by him, and that, that even beyond that, that God is with you. Now, most oftentimes, you can't imagine being this way or living this way or thinking this way because we actually believe that we actually have to do something to achieve that kind of preference. We do this in our relationships, in our workplaces, right? You achieve, and then you get stickers. You achieve, and then your wife bakes your cookies. You achieve, and then you can watch movies with your friends, right? And I'm not saying that those things are bad. Those are part of the way we recognize each other, and we should do stuff. But there's a kind of favor that God gives that's inherent in all people that we see in Mary's story that has nothing to do with her productivity. It has nothing to do with the activity that she does in her life. Now, I see this as I'm loving two daughters. 
As a parent, it's totally changed the way that I see the way that God loves me, right? With Elise, I'm kind of sentimental and I'm romantic, I guess. And I'm like, you know, I, want, I, I don't know. This is just me. I didn't think about it, but it just happened this way. When I say I love you to her, I say it in a very particular way. I say, Elise, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. That's my line. And I really mean that. It doesn't matter if she says no a million times a day. She can't really do anything for me right now. I mean, you know, I can be like, can you go get my laptop? And then she might drop it. You know, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, thing that I get from her. Yet there's this impulse in me to say, I love you no matter what. When our daughter Annette was born almost three months ago, right, I held both of our kids um, for the first time. Sarah had C-sections both times, and so I was the first one. And I said words of blessing over both of them. And the word of blessing I said over Annette was, there will always be a place for you. There will always be a place for you. There's something about this grace that comes to us that says, you aren't what you produce. You aren't what you do. You don't have to live by that lie. And in this narrative, God extends grace to Mary. He says, before you say yes, before you do anything, you are favored and I am with you. The story of Jesus is all about grace this undeserved, unearned, radical love, unbelievable favor of God, and it starts. And even when we say God loves us, we so deeply want to say, no, 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 you can't love me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I really am. But it's the first thing we have to say yes to. This idea that, that you're favored and that he is with you. Your identity isn't wrapped up in your productivity. It's wrapped up in the fact that you're a son and daughter of God. You're favored. And he's with you. The second thing that we notice about Mary, right, is her response to the angel's words. The angel shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here. Chill out. I know you're freaking out. I'm an angel. This is normal. It's okay. And then he says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be pregnant. And Mary's first response to this very holy moment is, how can this be? How can this be? I'm a virgin. I haven't yet, you know, done the thing. How can that happen? And some of the highly religious among us might be like, oh, you know, if she was truly faithful, she would have just said, yes, I trust you, Gabriel. Why would she throw a question that almost seems like she's doubting what's happening in front of her? It's because she's human. It's because she's afraid. It's because it's okay to actually not be okay. See, Gabriel doesn't respond to her fear and say, how dare you think that way? He says, fear not. He meets her exactly. And as a representative of God, he's reflecting God's heart. And so the second thing that we see is that when you stop trying to be God, God can actually be God. Isn't that interesting? If you try to be God, and I try to be God, and if we try to take care of everything with our own genius ideas and our mental processes and our whatever, you understand God can't be God? There's a second layer to this, right? And I want to say this carefully. If you're facing a situation in your life and you feel like you can kind of handle it, there's a question. Did God really bring that into your life? The way that I read scripture and the way that I look at God's characters is that most people in scripture, when they're faced with something that he wants them to do, 
their first response is always, how can this be? God, you want, what? You want me to give 40% of all I make? How? You want me to quit this job and, and go to the mission field and start all over? How? You want me to trust you again in this situation? How? How can this be? The encouragement that we find in Mary's journey is that doubt is actually a part of the journey of faith. And it's not the enemy of faith. It's not the opposite of faith. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? It's certainty. See, faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of hope. And it's required when we face something that's larger than us. If you know for certain that you got that, that's not faith. Faith would require you saying, Lord, I can't do that on my own. That's too big for me. And so the second lesson that I see with Mary is that when you stop trying to be God, God can be God. This shows up in my life in an interesting way. Um, I have an interesting story with fathers, but I was kind of like a fatherless, fathered kid. I'll explain it sometime. But I didn't really have a dad who like taught me how to work on cars and do things like that. So I'm very not car savvy. Establish that fact. Well, there's this guy named Dave Wyseth. He's somewhere. I love Dave. Yeah. I don't know where. He probably doesn't like the attention. Oh, he's right there. Um, So Dave has become a good friend because he has helped me with cars more times than I can remember and count. And um, he knows everything about cars. And, uh, you know, he has this amazing garage. Like, even before I knew him, people were like, you have to go to the garage Mahal, right? Like... (laughs) Dave's garage is like this amazing place. Like it's going to be a rite of passage for you here at Pine Lake Covenant Church <laughs> to go and be with him and drink coffee and have other things. Like, and so I made my way over when I had some car issues. And, and this is what's funny. In the beginning, right, I'm like, you know, I want to show Dave that I'm a young guy, that I'm not dumb because I'm not dumb, right? And I don't know cars, but Google knows cars. And let me Google some things and find some things. And so I would go to Dave and be like, Dave, you know, like, yeah, there's this weird noise that the car is making, right? And I think it might be the la, 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 right? And I'm just making up what Google tells me. I very clearly don't know cars, right? And I'm doing it respectfully. I'm not rude. But I'm trying to kind of be like, I kind of know And Dave, he's awesome because he's so patient. He answers every question. He says, well, young man, I don't think it might be that, but it's probably this. That's actually a good Dave Weisseth impression if you know him. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we we could take a look there and consider what it might be. But I think, and here's what I've learned in working with Dave. If I let Dave be Dave, my life is a lot easier. If I go with him and I trust his expert advice... I trust that he knows something that I can't foresee and I just stop trying to figure it out or stop trying to guide his thoughts. So much easier. I just have to say yes to him when he says, I think it's this and that and we should buy this and you don't have to do that and don't go pay for that $60 thing and don't take it to the dealership. I just have to say, okay. That's what it means when we allow God to be God. And we stop trying to do everything ourselves. God's going to bring you into circumstances at work, in your family, in our city, in our community, where you're going to be like, this can't possibly happen. There's no way. This is impossible. And all he wants you to do is just say, yes, let me be me. You can be human. You can be okay. It's okay not to be okay. 
So the third lesson that I think Mary teaches us is that saying yes is the beginning of everything. Saying yes is the beginning of everything. And if there's one thing I really want you to remember, it's that. That saying yes is the beginning of everything. See, Mary says yes, and this changes her whole life. These words, she says, let it be to me according to your word. And I don't think we understand the gravity of what she was saying. And she may not have either. For Mary, in that culture and society, to say yes and to to, to take glory into her body and to then become pregnant would almost be an absolute death in her community. Both figuratively and literally. Okay, Uh, let's say... I know someone who's engaged, and I don't want to bring their specific example because that would be a cruel. But let's say there's a, someone named Patty in our congregation, right? And Patty's like from a good family, and they've been here for 17 years, and she's engaged, right? And we're like, that's awesome. They're going to get married, and we've all got saved to dates, and we're like, this is so cool, right? Well, Patty shows up to church a couple weeks later, and she's pregnant. I know, most of us probably be like, well, what happened? You know, they, they ain't supposed to do that. And, you know, that's the, that's the covenant stance. They're not supposed to do that. I know that one for sure, right? Patty's not supposed to, no, 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 no. So we respect the family. So then we go over and we're like, hey, what happened? You know, were they a little, you know, I don't know, whatever. And uh, parents are like, no, Patty's still a virgin. Okay. All right, if it's not, if it's not uh, Brian, you know, the guy who's also attending our church, right? Then, um, well, who's the other guy? No, 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 there is no other guy. She's a virgin. And, and, and Brian's still going to marry her? Yes. Well, so then whose baby is it? It's God's baby. Would you believe that? <laughs> Would you believe that Patty's baby was God's baby. You know, we're almost certain that many people in our community didn't. They would have thought she was an adulteress. And according to Jewish law, she could be dragged out and stoned and put to death. But even if that didn't happen, right, which we know it didn't because she's alive, the social isolation, the stigma of having that scarlet letter forever changed her. When she said yes, it wasn't just saying yes in this beautiful kind of a way, but she was literally saying no to a bunch of other stuff. Dream of her life. Envision of community of what she thought. They were immediately isolated. She was truly set apart for God's purposes. It changed her whole life when she said yes. You know whose life it also changed? This is going to blow your mind. It changed God's life. Why did it change God's life? Because (laughs) for hundreds, thousands of years, God had been trying to reconnect with humanity in a way. And this sacrificial system, which he thought was going to work and would help them, and the law and the prophets and all of those things, the 39 books and the 400 years, he thought that was going to work, and it didn't work. But you see, God is relentless. His redemption knows no rest. And it changed his life because God became human flesh. 
It's really the most incredible thing that the one who created the universe would himself be created in a womb. That the one who built all of these beautiful trees we'd see, we see around here would one day work in a wood shop with his dad and get a splinter. The one that told the stars where to stay would sometimes forget what constellation that is. Isn't this unbelievable? He was a child, teenager, young adult, an adult. It changed God's life, the Father's life, Jesus' life, and the Holy Spirit, all of the Trinity. And it also changed all of humanity. Jesus is a starting point of redemption. It's because of Mary saying yes that Jesus can come and live a life under her care. And it's a wild life if you read the Gospels. They go to Egypt and there's genocide and there's kings and all this. It's such a wonderful crazy adventure. But ultimately, it leads Jesus to a garden where he's fulfilling this task of dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And he asks his father, very much like his mother, how can this be? He says, is there another way? Is there another way for this cup to be passed? And this is crazy, right? Because we know what Jesus says. He says, not my will, but your will be done. What if he was just doing what is when he was just doing what he saw his mom do for all of his childhood. How many times do you think Mary said, let it be to me? Yes, yes, yes. She had to watch her son be born and be raised. She had to suffer all that isolation and say yes, yes, yes. And then she had to watch him die. And she watched him come back to life. And she watched him ascend into heaven. And she said, yes. She actually is the very first disciple. Truly. Worship team, you guys can come up. Where are you this morning? What is God inviting you into, leading you into? What are you hoping for and waiting for? And maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you don't even know about this Christianity itself or whether God's real or faith is real. This morning, I want to offer to you but saying yes is the beginning of everything. Now, where are we as a church this morning? I've been here two years. And what I'm sure of is that God is doing something pretty beautiful here at Pine Lake Covenant Church. And my prayer, when I'm up way early or up way late, is God, I want to see your glory in this place. And lately he's been saying, do you want to see it if I ask you to give up this, J.D.? Do you want to see it if I ask you and the church to take a different direction? Do you want to see it if this place looks nothing like you envisioned? Could you say yes to me? Mary was asked by God to be a part of something extraordinary. She received God's grace. She was favored. She expressed her human fear and doubt. In the midst of all that, God still said, I'm game, are you? She said yes. This morning, as a space of response, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to hold a time of silence. And then after that time of silence, um, 
Pastor Sharon's going to come and kind of invite us to prayer space. There's going to be people here in the front, and we want to bless you and pray over you. And so if you feel led, um, we'll have music going, we'll sing. To come and receive a blessing, do that. Feel led to come and say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life and this Christianity thing. It'll be the best decision you make. Do that. If you feel like there's something that God is leading you to say yes to, say yes, it's the beginning of everything. Let me uh, pray for us as we enter into this silence. God, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the ways you love us and call us. And I thank you for Mary and her story. Thank you, Lord, that she said yes. And now, Lord, as we enter into this silence, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak as only you can. Unearth the things that need to be unearthed and remove the distractions. In your name I ask this as we enter into silence now.